Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and friends beyond the binary, my patron peeps. Hey, patron peeps. Uh, you know, I got a little sweat on my brow, uh, but it's soon it's going to be evaporating into mystery dreams or something. Uh, thanks for supporting my hard work, patrons. I couldn't do without you. Uh, hey, are you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep? Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep. We do it's a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. I'm going to do the rest. What I'm going to attempt to do is create a safe place where you can set aside whatever's keeping you awake, whether it's thoughts, feelings, physical sensations, changes in time or temperature. I'm here to keep you company, to take your mind off of stuff, uh, Whatever's, whatever, whatever's, you know, I, I, I want to help. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send my voice across the deep, dark night here. I'm going to use lulling, soothing, creaky, dulcet tones, pointless meanders, superfluous tangents. And when I say superfluous tangents, it means I'm going to go off topic in a way that's totally unnecessary. Not only am I going to go on a, 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 a like, not only going to go off topic and go on tangents, I'm going to go on extra ones uh, that are completely. Well, I guess they're not super. If, if they're necessary, you think if we made a musical about this, uh, essentially superfluous? Was it that musical, or did I call it something else? Because I said, well, are the are the tangents if they're essential? Are they superfluous? Uh, so we found ourselves in an early paradox here. Uh, but what I'm really here to do is to keep you company as you drift off. Now, if you're new, welcome. I'm glad you're here, and I really hope I can help. Uh, I'm Scoots or Drew. You could call me either one. You could call me Scooter. Uh, you could call me Borbay. You could call me Borbud. You could. I mean, in your case, if you're new, you say, "Well, I don't know who's who's this who's this guy who's this dude." I'm here to answer those questions because obviously if you're skeptical or you're doubtful, that's reasonable. I mean, why wouldn't you be? There's a lot of stuff out there that's supposed to help you put you, help you fall asleep, that's supposed to put you to sleep. And, uh, you know, a lot of people recommend this show or you might have heard about it somewhere and you say, what the heck is this? What's this, uh, what's this dude talking about? And I say, well, not much, you know, the, the, the tangents, they're superfluous uh, for sure. And most of the time, I don't even know what I'm talking about, but I am glad you're here and I hope I can help you. The reason I make the show, the reason I've been making the show now for a long time, since 2013, over 800 episodes, I believe. And the reason I say believe, because I don't really believe it, I say, holy cow, there's been over 800 episodes of this podcast. Uh, it's because I've been there and I go, I, I, you know, I've been there since I was a kid, tossing and turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep, uh, trouble falling, getting back to sleep. Holy mackerel. And I guess all I wanted w w was uh, like a friend to be there to keep me company and take my mind off of stuff. And so that's kind of what this podcast is ideally does. I'm the friend you don't need to listen to. They call me, they don't call me the perfect friend. They call me situationally the perfect friend for a situation. Uh, you know, in, within a perfect, con within this construct, Scooch, you're the perfect friend for this uh, particular job. So you mean I'm not the perfect friend overall, Brad? But, you know, I said, because I thought me and Brad Pitt were going to be best friends. And they say, well, and I said, well, I'll take, you know, George Clooney, I'll, I'll be, you know, I'll be best friends with, you know, pretty much. Uh, oh, oh, sorry. I got distracted. That was a tangent I went on. I said, I think I fell into my imagination. But uh, so, so you're saying I'm not the perfect friend all the time. No, Scoots, nobody, you can't be the perfect friend for all the time. But for taking someone's mind off of stuff and keeping them company and just and they don't need to listen to you you're perfect for that situation i say you're right i am and i bet that's what i always wanted as a kid was someone to talk to me that i didn't need to listen to and you say wait a second that's what this if you're new you say wait a second what's this podcast about are you going to get to the bedtime story or start making sense anytime soon or get to a point mm, no 
But I, what I will do is I'll, I'll you know, I'll be here talking. And, and if you need me for eight to 10 to 12 hours, as some listeners do, believe, line up the episodes. I'll be here talking, chit-chattering away. And I, I mean, I guess for the people that say, well, couldn't you listen to any? Well, no, because I know what it's like there. And that's why I'm here. I'm also here because I believe you truly do deserve a good night's sleep. And uh, I'd like to help. So if you're skeptical, why wouldn't you be? Give the show a few tries. See how it goes. There's no pressure to like me or the podcast. I just hope it helps you. And you can kind of see if it works for you. I'm going to give you a little bit more information, though, about the structure of the podcast. But I think you figured out the first part is you don't need to listen to me. That's a part of the job that I'm proud to do is make a podcast and tell you a story that you don't need to listen to. Now, you can if if you can't sleep, you know, I'm here to the very end and there's plenty of other episodes. I put a lot of work in the shows to keep you company in a kind of way that's barely, moderately interesting, you know, slightly humorous or nearly almost humorous. I think people said uh, humor like that's what they, we usually agree on. Me and my internal, uh, cr- you know, my, my internal staff, as I call them when I'm not being critical of them. They say your your humor your humor humor esque is not you're not humor esque uh, you're humorish, and I say well that sounds like something I caught on the subway or something humorish. I'm feeling a little humorish, and they say well for you yeah, it's like uh, you you're you're not sure. You say well he's not. I wasn't laughing. I wasn't you know I was only guffing. I wasn't guffawing. I wasn't rolfing, but I was uh, looking at the floor, barely smiling. Okay, but so, oh, you don't need to listen to me. I think that tangent proved that. Here's the other thing. There's no pressure to fall asleep. I'm going to be here for about an hour. You drift off at your leisure. So kind of listen to me, kind of don't. Maybe, but you know, see what works for you. But, but, you know, drift off in your own time. And, and that goes into the structure of the show. So the show structurally... It can be a little bit strange for new listeners. So I give it give it to you, even though it's a little late. You say, well, it's a little late now, Scoots. We already lost a... I say, well, I'm, I'm, you know, let, let me see what I could tell you. So the show starts off with a few minutes of business. And that's how we keep the show free for everybody, you know, 800 episodes. And then there's the intro. Now, the intro is about 12 to 15 minutes. It's not really an intro as it is a wind-down or a slow beginning, like full of false starts. You say, well, it took forever to get started. I don't know if it ever did. And then it petered out from there. Those are what our five-star reviews say. It was like an engine that you, you know, on a gas thingamajig that you pulled that cord, cordy thing. And then it started going and it made, it, it made a pleasant puttering sound for a while. And then it puttered around like in a cartoon. I don't know if it was a motorboat or a, a two-wheeled vehicle. And then it kind of just poof, 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 poofed at the end. So the intro is uh, it's 12 to 15 minutes. It can be kind of explaining the podcast, ideally building rapport or reinforcing rapport for the regular listeners uh, to ease you into bed. And now you could be getting ready for bed as you're listening to the show. You could be in bed snuggling and petting your pets as I get bribed by pets to say all the time. Petting those sweet, sweet pets uh, that really, and you know, while my, I don't let my dog in bed with me, you know, they, all your pets should be in bed with you. Also pets, uh, you know, we're working on that new uh, pet coin. Uh, so you could pay me by pet coin once it's invented. Uh, or, but cats, I, I'm not expecting much except for a dirty look or whatever it is, walking away with your tail up or whatever you call it. Okay, so where was it? Oh, so the intro, you could listen to it as you, as eases you into bedtime. Now, for some reason, you start listening to the show and you say, Scoots, I don't like the intro. I want to get it right into the bedtime stuff. Uh, I say, okay, skip ahead about 18 or 20 minutes. That's normally where it starts. Uh, tonight we'll be doing a tale of the tape uh, where I try to remember a movie from my childhood or that I, this case I saw on TV and uh, HBO. Uh, you know, I didn't see it in the original run, but uh, 
I'll be trying to remember that the plot of that movie, which will be very uh, uh, tangential and lulling and for sure pointlessness. It'll, it'll be backtracking. You say, okay, I think this is what happened. I'm pretty sure this was the main character's name. And this was who, who was in the movie or whom. Oh, you're right, whom. So we'll have some fun with that. And uh, so that'll be the bit. So, oh, so the, there's the intro. Then there's uh, some business between the intro and the show. Then there'll be that. I'll talk about the movie for 45 to 55 minutes or so. Then there's some thank yous at the end. Uh, so all told, I'll be here for about an hour to keep you company. So, yeah, that's the structure of the show. Those are the rules of the show. I kind of think that's it. If if you're listening and you definitely don't like the podcast, uh, you know, you've reached that conclusion. Usually people reach that conclusion in one or two minutes and then they skip ahead. So maybe you skipped ahead to this. Uh, check out sleepwithmepodcast.com slash no thank you. That's got other sleep podcasts and sleepy stuff on there. Because I do want to help you fall asleep. And, uh, you know, I mean, it really comes down to what I said before is uh, been there. And I know what it feels like, and that you know, that, uh, yeah, I guess that I guess that's it. Um, I'm, th- I'm trying to think. Of, I, I, I'm in a really a warm room right now, so it's like uh, my thoughts are. I have humid my my hearts my hearts are thoughts with humidity, uh, or something like that. I have humid, th- you know. There's humid thoughts, and then there's humid thoughts, and these are not the kind that you raise your eyebrows at. And so hopefully when you're listening, it's just, you know, it sounds like a cool breeze, but usually it's more creaky dulcet tones and pointless meanders. So I think that's it. I'll just give you a quick intro tonight, like right around the 12 minute mark. So I'm glad you're here. If you're new or you're a regular listener, I'm glad you're back. Uh, I work very hard. I yearn and I strive, I strive and I really hope I can help you fall asleep. So thanks again for coming by. And here's a couple of ways we keep this show free for everybody. All right, hey everybody, it's uh, Scoots here, and tonight we're doing a Tale of the Tape episode where I try to remember a movie that I watched a lot as a kid, and I'll try to make the movie accessible to everybody because I know uh, sometimes uh, this might, movie, movie might be new to a lot of people. Uh, this particular one, you might be more familiar with the merchandise and uh, some of the other movies related to in the series. And also talk about some personal connections I have with the film. Now, this was a movie I did not see in the movie theater. I think the first movie in this series I saw was the third in the movie theater. And it's definitely the movie that has been overplayed, and I did do an episode about it. So the movie we're talking about tonight is National Lampoon's uh, Vacation. It may be called National—I think it's just called National Lampoon's Vacation and not Family Vacation. And so it's a movie—if you're unfamiliar with it, you might have heard of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation— or if you've scanned the cable dials occasionally, you may have seen this movie or uh, its uh, European version, National Lamp- the, the sequel, National Lampoon's European Vacation, which I have seen bits and pieces of in the last few years. Just like, uh, like not, like you know, these are not movies you you really want to see on TV, but normally you do. Uh, just because the flow is interrupted by the commercials, some of the uh, the comedy may be edited out or vanilla made into like a, something vanilla. And but this is a movie I've seen uh, like uh, maybe maybe a hundred times, maybe not that many times. And so it's a movie about a family going on a, a road trip. It's, it's, so it's a genre film, you know, uh, and I think there's like a TV show or two recently that I didn't see, like series that kind of about families on road trips. It's, it's a popular genre. I want to say it's a John Hughes movie or an uh, Ivan Reitman movie, but I'm not sure on either one of those uh, I don't know who else could have done it, uh, but uh, I guess I'll look that up if if we have time to look up any actual facts about the movie. 
It stars Chevy Chase, Beverly D'Angelo, Anthony Michael Hall, and I think that's as far as I get with remembering things. Randy Quaid's in it. Uh, actually, the dude, uh, the actor from the Karate Kid reboot with, you know, something, Forest Friend Kai, K-A-I. He was Johnny from the original Karate Kid movie. He's in this movie before, I think this was well before Karate Kid. Maybe not. Incredibly handsome uh, performer. And I don't know when this movie came out because I think the first time I saw it was on HBO. And I don't think the first time I saw it, it was necessarily complete. Like, like this is definitely a movie that unfortunately I, I haven't seen. I've seen more in chunks and start to begin is it start to finish because as start to finish. I mean, I haven't seen it in a long time, uh, but I will say that I, I would guess it holds up, uh, but it, like it, it, it does suffer from being on cable TV so much that uh, the scenes that you have seen, you may grow tired of. Uh, so that's what's nice about seeing the beginning of it, because I think the last time I saw it was probably 10, 12, 20, I don't know, years ago. But when I did see the whole thing, I said, wow, really, there's a nice, the beginning of it's a very, very funny. It probably would be a good one to see it in the movie theater again. So if anybody's doing a revival of it, hit me up and let me know. Uh, so... I think that's it for the set. Family vacation movie. Those are the stars. Uh, if you're not familiar with those stars, comedic uh, actor and then an actress with the comedic range and, and dramatic range. Uh, so, and then Anthony Mike. So, so it starts in a Chicago suburb. So that's why I say, huh, is this a John, John Hughes movie? I'd like to see John Waters version of it, to be honest. That would be absolutely amazing. Can you imagine? That would be really cool. Uh, John Waters' National Lampoon's Vacation. I guess you could do it as a musical. Maybe this movie has been a musical. I'm not sure on that either. And I'm not sure. I guess the soundtrack is very 80s. So I don't know if this movie came out in the 80s or the late 70s or the 80s or the mid 80s. I just have no idea at all. Because I would guess National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation came out in like 1990, and that's just a ballpark of a guess. Or 1991. I'm just just guessing at when I would have gone to that in the movies. Okay, so I guess that's a basic setup. So if you haven't seen the movie, don't worry. I'll, I'll cover what I can remember. It's a pretty long film, uh, and the star of the movie, uh, or. Uh, the 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 main character, I guess, the character. I, get, I don't know if you're supposed to identify with him because he's not super sympathetic. Uh, but the foil. Uh, so if there's like, what is that called? When uh, if, if it's not zeitgeist, it's the other big word I know how to use sometimes. Oh, if you're gonna you know pour some Schadenfreude on it, uh, it's a Chevy Chase plays Clark Griswold. Uh, Ellen Griswold is played by Beverly D'Angelo. Russ, uh, Rusty Griswold is played by Anthony Michael Hall. And I don't know the name of the actress who plays uh, the sister or her name this second, but it probably will come to me because I can hear them talking in the car. And Clark Griswold has dreamed. He plays it back in the 80s. You know, this is a... This is a mythology of mansplaining, I guess, if, if you want to put a cultural dot on it, because you say, uh, I, I, I mean, he was supposed to be the every person. And, you know, I guess this was the 80s because it was very um, uh, unicultural, I guess, or whatever you want to call it. So he, he lived in the suburbs. Uh, of Chicago. He worked for a corporation. I know in National Lampoon's uh, Christmas Vacation, he works for like an additives company. So maybe a cereal additives company, C-E-R-A-L. Maybe he worked there in the regular movie. And I don't really totally remember how the movie starts, uh, if he's at work or if he's at home. But there's a couple big scenes at the beginning of the movie. Well, you know what I'm remembering is uh, I think I'm wrong. Oh, boy, am I wrong. 
The guy from Karate Kid's not in this movie. I just realized that. So first mistake right up front. Oh, I almost, I just almost remembered the sister's name. You know, the kid, Rusty and his sister are played by different character act, actors and actresses in every movie. So Johnny Galecki played uh, uh, Rusty in uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Maybe, maybe my memory's incorrect though. Uh, but so in this movie, the the guy from Karate Kid's not in it. So forget all about that part. No, no one from Karate Kid is maybe not in this movie. Maybe they are. Uh, but so okay, so Clark Griswold is uh, like I don't know. So he's a dude, like a uh, average dude, ba- you know, basic. Holy cow! Uh, and he works for somebody. He's a corporate dro- droog or drone. I don't know which one. And he's he's uh, he's a bit of a buffoon, which is kind of a, a, a typical Chevy Chase character. Big ego, uh, but you know, no self awareness, and clumsy and goofy. So, and Beverly D'Angelo uh, she, as Ellen, as she tries to um, manage him, uh, seems to love him for for you know some reason, and. Uh, their kids are just put out the whole movie. They say, geez, we got this dad who's uh, too much. And so no reason, no, you know, not surprising that I identified with the Chevy Chase character a lot as a kid. Uh, so, oh, let's get to the movie, right? Alrighty, Scoots. Uh, so the movie starts out, I don't know, I don't know how the movie starts, uh, but it has a, a song called Holiday Road that's at the end of the movie that, oh, maybe there's some themes from that, uh, I don't know if that's a Kenny Loggins song or not. There was once upon a time at the end of the movie, so there's the song Holiday Road during the credits, and I was in a basement of my friend's grandmother's, and we had been, um, I don't know how old we were, too, too young but not old, you know, and we were uh, we were kind of, it was uh, like it was just me and a couple of my friends, and we, I guess we were P-A-R-T-A-Y-I-N-G-ing or something, but not really because it was just four of us. Uh, in his grandmother's basement's house, uh, and it was late at night, and we were all singing along with the movie at the top of our lungs. Uh, so it was like a high point of my like like a childhood or teenagehood. But this was after we had seen the movie thousands of times. So the movie starts. Uh, well, the scenes I remember from the beginning of the movie is like one thing is like nothing ever goes Clark's way and he always has unrealistic expectations. So he's going to buy a new car for their family trip. Uh, they're going to Wally World. You say, Scoots, what's the goal? And what are the needs of the characters and stuff? I say, well, I don't know about any of that stuff, but I do know their goal is to reach Wally World in California and the re- that's the reason I was thinking of this movie is because I went to Six Flags Magic Mountain and Knott's Berry Farm with Ray a while ago. And uh, I think the movie was shot at one of those theme parks. But I think it was Six Flags Magic Mountain, just the end of the movie. Uh, also, yeah, John Candy's at the end of the movie. Not that, that That's not really a spoiler. Uh, so, okay, so the movie starts with Clark trying to pick up his new car that he ordered uh, or had purchased, and he goes, I don't know if Eugene Levy's in this movie, but I don't think he is, but uh, I don't know why I just saw it. Eugene Levy just popped in my head. I said, hey, Eugene, I saw Eugene Levy at, uh, across the room. I was too afraid to uh, approach him, but uh, at uh, some event uh, the last fall. I was in the same room as him, one of my heroes. Uh, but, you know, I, I you know, also, well, anyway, uh, who else was in there? Some other famous, like I said, but I said, well, I'm just going to sit here and stand here with my sparkling water alone. Don't talk. But I did. To, anyway, where was I? So he goes to pick up his car. And they have the car order wrong. He ordered the family truckster, or maybe he ordered some other car, sport package. I know, I think it was a sport. Uh, he ordered, so this is going to be new for a lot of you younger listeners. You probably heard of these things called station wagons. And before they had minivans and SUVs, they had station wagons, which was like an extra long car, pretty much like a hearse, uh, 
the only difference was the bodies packed in there were, were uh, you know, with the kid, the family. So there was the only car other than a van you could buy that you could fit, like, more than six people in, or you could fit a ton of luggage and stuff. Uh, so Clark had ordered some other car, but a station wagon. He drives up in his car that he's doing a turn-in or whatever they call that. I've never done that. All my cars have been driven to the end of their time, or it was a lease. But this one, like, is where you exchange, you know, you get your credit for your car, a trade-in. That's what they call it. Thank you, uh, car dealership brain. So he turns in his trade-in, and they already start taking care of that. So so you see that car being um, mushed up to go bye-bye. And then Clark's gets strung along, along by the car salesman saying, oh, this car is even better than what you ordered. Uh, costs more money, but it's you know so much better for driving cross-country. And the car kind of doesn't ever become a character in the movie, but it, it's, it's like a vehicle for some jokes at Clark's expense, including this time. Because he, you know, folds. He doesn't, he, he says, well, for, actually, he doesn't. Um, Ken is like in this Rodney Dangerfield does a comedian in the 80s. I, I don't get no respect. Uh, so you try to cultivate to every person feel that uh, when you go to get a car, it's always a hassle. It never works out. And the people are always trying to pull fast one on you. So by the time Clark gets a car, it's not the car he wanted. It doesn't ha- it's horribly ugly. It's like green. It has like six sets of headlights. The station wagons back then used to have this fake wood paneling. It's got all that stuff. Uh, and plus his son's with him, I think. And he's like, Dad, these guys are uh, messing with you. Aren't you going to stand up to him?" And then he demands his car. But they had already, which I don't understand because they usually sell used cars. But I think it was just for a joke that they had put his car into a cube. So he says, I'm leaving here with um, my car, you know, I don't want to, this isn't the car I ordered. And they said, well, here's your car. It's a cube because he's leaving the next day on the vacation. So I guess that's kind of what happens. So that's one scene in the movie. Then the next, then there's other scenes. I think there's another, then there's a scene with him driving. The car's not working right. Then there's a scene where they're planning. And again, the family just wants to go go to Hawaii, which I think in the eighties was the, like, I think people still go to Hawaii a lot, right? But, like, in the 80s, it was, like, the promised land. Like, that's where everybody, especially, I guess, I don't know if that was the thing in Chicago, but it's like, oh, you're going to Hawaii. That's a the fancy place. Uh, and Wally World is kind of like, it's, uh, it's not as hyped up as Disney World in this movie, but for Clark, it is, like, this, uh, this mecca of uh, family purity and unity. Uh, that he's chasing after. So then there's like a planning scene where the um, he's, he's like over planning. He's super excited about all the stops they're going to go to, you know, the world's largest ball of yarn. And this one, I think, kind of sets up that like uh, our likability of Clark. It's like, oh, OK, can I pity him? But he, he's so he's so he seems genuinely excited for this. And his family's like, Dad, this is so lame uh, then his kids start playing video games over. He's using a computer to kind of show the route. And Audrey is the daughter. Audrey and Rusty make computer games go over and and, and, and take out his car and everything. So it's a little bit more comedic. Uh, shows if, you know, family. Shows Beverly D'Angelo's character. Uh, what's uh I can't can't remember, but but so she's trying to say like Clark, you know, come on, like let's just we could still go to Hawaii, you know, we haven't spent any money except on the car and stuff. And he's like, no, 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 this is going to be the great vacation. And then they head out on the road. I guess uh, this is where this is where you're probably I get probably get lost pretty quick because uh, I don't really remember where they go or what happens next. Uh, so they leave Chicago, and uh, let's see, they, uh, I don't know what, so they have a ton of luggage, I, I remember this much, but I think this must have happened later in the movie, is, uh, yeah, so, so I don't know, so they set out, they say goodbye to their neighbors, and they hit the open road, right? And then what happened, and then what happens, that's a great question, because I know there's some of the places they go, 
but they don't go to those quite yet because uh, it's like in the like uh, in the next. So they set out, uh, and we get a feel for them driving. You know, Clark is uh, happy on the open road, and uh, the kids are in the back. And at some point, we get introduced to a character played by Christy Brinkley. Who was not, I don't believe, you know, the term, there used to be this term supermodel. I don't think it's used anymore. And she was one of the original supermodels, I believe, or like right around that era. And for me, as a young male, like, uh, I mean, I was like a prepubescent male. Like, this was like uh, one of my first internal stirrings, I'll be honest with you. And not just, well, anyway, we don't need to get any details. So, so this was part of my formative experience of this film. And, and I mean, in a, I don't know, I mean, it just was, I guess that's why I'm having trouble speaking. It just really was a part of my formative experience and probably in a ways that was not exactly realistic because uh, she's driving like a Ferrari, a red Ferrari. And I believe she makes like three or four appearances in the film and she's kind of uh, plays this a very like uh, this fantasy character uh, where she goes racing up next to Clark and then she sees Clark and I don't know what draws her to Clark. Uh, because, again, this movie's probably written by people that identified with Clark. So they're like, oh, she's definitely uh, finds him attractive or f- likes to flirt with him. So she's kind of flirting as they're driving side by side and Clark's sweating and that's just one scene that's like, you know, I remember because they said, holy moly, does this really happen? I don't even know how to drive a car yet. Like, because they try to pass notes to to, to, to people I have a crush on. They won't give me the time, you know, like during Spin the Bottle. Remember, I told you this on an episode. It's like, uh, no, I mean, it's just true. Like, no one wanted to kiss me. And then the one person that did, I was friends with, Julie, she said, remember, this doesn't mean anything. It was a good thing she said that because I probably, like, I was like Ralph Wiggum. So, uh, so I guess, like, uh, it skewed my view of, uh, they said, oh, one day someone will just drive by you in a car. That's, that's how you become, you transition from boyhood to, uh, you know, the, the one day someone will just pass you by in a car and say, "Hey, but hey, but hey, hey, you know, let's uh, let's drive fast together." So, just in case you're listening and you understand any of this stuff I'm talking about, uh, doesn't you know that's just a, it's just a movie. Okay, so how does a movie start out? The holy mackerel! It's like uh, they get on the road. Uh, where do they go? They go to, uh, like, I'm trying to think of the places they went alone. I mean, I would think, like, I know at some point they stop at Dodge City, and it's just a four of them. Like, so we see Christy Brinkley, Clark sweating. Then he's driving. Then they go to Dodge City, which is like this, I don't know where it was. Maybe that's Dodge City is, maybe that's, uh, I don't know. Yeah, but it's like an old west style town, like a movie set almost. And uh, they go and they uh, they're doing tourist stuff. Clark Clark kind of overplays his hand with a bartender. Uh, like uh, Clark and Rusty kind of have some bonding, but it's kind of like uh, Clark plays a bit of a buffoon. And I, so I, I know there was a, that was a scene. So I remember that one. Uh, so that happened. I'm trying to think what else happens. I know they lose their luggage. I thought that was later in the movie. There's a point where Clark's driving. I'll just go in what, not in order because of what I remember, but trying to put it in order. There's a scene where Clark's driving and he's everybody's a little snoozy-poo. And uh, I think this is when they lost the luggage. And Beverly says, uh, uh, well, I almost remembered his name, her name, her character's name. Uh, but she says, Clark, honey, turn out the TV, go to bed. He says, okay. And then they accidentally just drive into a motel parking lot. Then they get two motel rooms uh, for mom and dad and uh uh, the kids, and then uh, they just sit, they they have one of those vibrating beds. The parents uh, where you put two quarters in, 
And Clark is kind of like a charming goofball in this movie. So he says, hey, honey, rub, you know, rub-a-dub-dub. I had some uh, quarters uh, for this bed to, you know, who, who, who. he had champagne. I think this is all in this part of the movie. And then he says, yeah, let's get, you know, uh, let's drink some champagne. You know, like, uh, that, you know, that's what the, the that's what Scoots thinks adults do. Uh, but then they do like then they uh, then the bread breaks and it's vibrating out of control, so they move to the floor. They're just holding hands, the kids, uh, and then the bed is making so much noise. The kids come in the room. They're under the covers on the floor, and the kids are like young enough that they're like, "This is you guys are just so weird. Why are you? What are you doing?" Uh, but it's played. It was pretty comedic and funny. I don't know. There must have been more scenes in there. Like, I remember another scene where they're lost uh, in another city, I think St. Louis. Uh, and maybe they went to the St. Louis Arch. I remember them driving through St. Louis. They asked for directions. They lose their hubcaps. Maybe they lost some tires. Uh, um, let's see. I don't think there's anything else in that scene. Uh, so there's St. Louis, Dodge City. They lose their luggage. Then Clark uh, goes to a hotel to try to cash a check. Oh, because they had, they had like, tra- he had no, this was before ATMs in the 80s or even credit cards. Most people didn't have credit cards, I think, when this uh, movie took place. If you want a good episode of 99PI, oh, what was it called? Something Drop, uh. Hangtown, where's Hangtown Fry from? Because it was uh, wherever Hangtown Fry's from. I don't know the name of that city right off the top of my head now. But anyway, that's a good name of the ninety. That's a good episode about credit cards, but I can't remember the name of it. Ninety nine percent invisible. That's the name of the podcast. I just can't think of the episode. But so they they have to cash a check, and of course, no one's going to cash a check out of state check from a stranger without credit cards. Uh, so Clark borrows some money from a cash register, leaves a check behind. That was definitely after Dodge City because he was kind of feeling rebellious. Uh, so that happens. Uh, at some point, they go and visit uh, uh, Uncle Eddie, which who, who's like uh, uh, in his family, played by uh, Uncle Eddie's played by Randy Quaid. And I, I guess I still try to figure out uh, in the movies who's related to who. Now, Clark's not related to Uncle Eddie or his wife, uh, Ellen, and I don't know. And I don't think Eddie, Uncle Eddie's related to Ellen. So I think Ellen's sister is married to Uncle Eddie. And they had a few different kids, but they also had a daughter and a son that were— um, uh, the same ages as Rusty and Audrey, close close to it. So we get some comedic scenes where Audrey and the the uh, the daughter, their daughter, the daughter of Uncle Eddie, and um, uh, I can't remember the name, but so she teaches Audrey about the cannabis business. Uh, but this was back in the day when uh, all she did was you know keep it in under your like they grew, she grew her own cannabis. She was way decades and decades ahead of her time. Uh, so she teaches, you know, the, the, the joy of uh, for uh, Audrey that's 420 somewhere. And so Audrey gets to, 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 to realize for part of the trip, which probably would be handy. I mean, uh, not to encourage it, but, uh, you know, if you're Audrey's age, to have it be 420 all the time in that car with the family. She was not old enough to drive anyway. And then, like, uh, Rusty, it, it kind of is a little bit, there's a, you know, this is a dated movie, so there's jokes at a lot of other people's expense uh, that probably, you'd be like, oh, the, I don't know about this. Uh, problematic. I would say there's lots of problematic scenes. Like, the earlier scene in St. Louis is definitely problematic to me. And I guess I would say this one, because it's kind of just making fun of their circumstances, uh, yeah, but, I mean, there's some cool things where they twist it because then Rusty is with the son and he's kind of like, oh, you guys don't have video games. You know, it's life in the city so much cooler. And then he kind of says, well, I could teach you about, uh, you know, did you ever hear about Jocelyn Elders and what she wanted to teach kids, which is totally natural. And Rusty said, I have never heard of Jocelyn Elders. And he says, well, he, uh, 
have you heard of Masters and Johnson? And he goes, and he goes, because he goes, there's like something like that that I could tell you about. Uh, he goes, you don't know about it already. You didn't naturally discover it on your own. I don't think Rusty did. So he learned about the joys of that uh, in, in, with some material to, to uh, visual aids. And that was more subtextual, but they definitely talked about it, which is, you know, a little bit uh, progressive because uh, it wasn't making fun of it or shaming it. It said, hey, this is something I like to do to pass the time. And it said Green Day wrote a song about it, you know, 20 years later. So. So that was so. Then they have uh, then they have uh, like dinner at um, at the farm or whatever. Uh, yeah, I think it was a farm at this point. And uh, the one scene, the one line in the movie. So they're making uh, the young woman is make the young daughter's making Kool Aid. She's stirring it with her hand or lemonade. Which Clark didn't like. Then they're having, and they're not in great financial straits. So they say Clark was eating a sandwich, but he goes, "Jesus, is this a real hamburger helper, Eddie?" And he goes, "Oh yeah." He goes, "Hamburger helper does just fine on its own." And I just always remember that line. It always sucks to me. I always love to say, "It just does just fine on its own," which is probably a misquote. Uh, then, uh, at some point, um, they kind of say there's two like moments One they say, Hey, can you give us some money? Cause we're having trouble with the paying the bills here. And it takes a while. And then they say, you know, Clark says, geez, how much do you need? And they needed a lot of money. And I think Clark loaned them the money or gave them the money. And then they also say there's a aunt, uh, is it aunt Edith? I don't know what her aunt something. I think it's aunt Edith. She says, geez, have you told them the good news? Uh, uh, have you told Ellen and uh, Clark the good news? And they say, no, we'll tell them later. And they say, well, what's the good news? And she says, you're taking me to Tucson or Phoenix or something to, to stay at her son's or, or so, something like that. And so they're like, what? You know, this is our vacation. And so they're not happy about that at all. Uh Especially Clark, like Ellen's much more generous. So, so she says, oh, okay. And they also has a, the Aunt Edith. I don't think that's her name, but I'll think of it maybe. She also has a dog. And I don't think the dog's name was Farful. That was from like a Seinfeld movie. But it's some dog, and it does not like Clark. It, it does, this dog does not like Clark at all. So that's everything. Then uh, they set out the next day. And let's see what happens. There's a couple different scenes. They drive uh, for a while that day. They stop, uh, and we see Christy Brinkley again, and Clark sees her. Also, we find out that the dog went to the, went to number one on the picnic basket. So Clark is, like, eating a bologna sandwich and kissing it to Christy Brinkley, who's dancing while pumping gas. I mean, I didn't even realize that, that subtext when I was a kid. I just was like, uh, one day all I'll need to do is sit here in a park uh, staring across and someone beautiful and uh, will. Uh, but so he's kissing a, a dog peed sandwich. So then he spits it out. Uh, I want to see her again for a little while. Uh, she drives off. Uh, and there's like a, a different music playing during these different scenes. Uh, then they go to like what would be considered now glamping, but in the back in this one, it's like a, so it's canvas, pretty set up canvas tents that they stay at. And Aunt Edna, that was her name, not Edith. It just came to me. So they say, oh, okay, this one smells like pee. So they say Aunt Edna could stay there. They're really excited about this place because they were going to swim at the pool and it had a great brochure, but it ends up the pool's like not swimmable. And it's another flop. Uh, and uh, then even Clark, and then again, Clark and Helen have a moment alone. Uh, and uh, so they say, well, like, uh, like, uh, uh, let's, uh, let's share a sleeping bag. And then uh, I remember she goes, she calls him Sparky. Ellen calls Spar Clark Sparky. And she goes, oh, Sparky, wild animal, wild animal. Uh, 
And he goes, oh, he goes, oh, it, 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 there's just some lines that suck with me. He goes, oh, yeah, Ellen, I think I'm going to go for it. Uh, uh, which I said, wait a second, now that I've, uh, I said, what is he talking about? Because I thought they were already kind of like uh, holding hands, you know, like, uh, and I thought he was like, well, I thought he was, I was like, well, you're already holding hands. How are you going to go for it if you're already, your hands are interlocked, right? Uh, but so then she goes, Sparky, Sparky, wild animal. But it ends up as a dog. Uh, so dog interrupts uh, the, that. Uh, and Clark's not happy about that. So then the next day, uh, they get in the car. And Clark's distracted. It ends up that after they start driving, uh, they get pulled over. Because the guy says, Geez, I'm a, like, he says, you're on the highway to heaven. Your dog is. uh and Clark says, well, my goodness, I had no idea. He goes, don't worry, I'm not, you know, I'm kind of like the Michael Landon of the dogs on the highway to heaven, the big farm in the sky. But when they get pulled over first, like Ann Edna's like, what did you do wrong, Clark? Uh, and then Rusty had had some uh, visual aids for his, uh, you know, Masters and Johnson's class. And Audrey was had a whole shoebox full of cannabis, so everybody was like, what the heck, what the heck? And I think there was even jokes about the magazines that Rusty had. Uh, and I think that was it, except that Aunt Edna had no idea that her dog was going to like going on the highway to heaven with this like Michael Landon character, so she was not happy. And I don't know what happened, like, uh, like, uh, what else transpires? Uh, uh, if there's any other scenes that I'm forgetting, but so at some point the, uh, they're driving. It's kind of a low point because Aunt Edna's not happy. Everyone's like Clark. This is a failed trip. Like it keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, why don't we turn back, or why don't we just drop Aunt Edna off, or put her at an airport? Oh, I think maybe the next scene. Okay, I don't know which scene is which. Uh, uh, I guess, like, we'll, let's just guess uh, that uh, the next scene is that uh, Aunt Edna is, uh, she goes to the, there's two possibilities of the order of this, but let's just say Aunt Edna decides, you know what, my dog went to the, on the highway to heaven, I'm going to go on the highway to wherever they put me. And go to the big farm and see if I could see my dog there. She just does that while she's sitting in between Rusty and Audrey. And so they figure it out. And then they end up, uh, like, uh, this is like the low point of everybody for the movie. They end up uh, that they're not comfortable with that. So they're like, uh, we got to bring her to, I think, Ellen's brother's house or Aunt Edna's son's house. And... So she gets to ride on the top of the car, uh, which is uh, like played for a visual joke, uh, which is pretty funny because it's just so like, uh, and they get to her, her son's house and he's not even there. So they just leave. They say, well, she went, she already, she wanted to go. So they leave her there with a note saying she went to the big farm to join her dog. You know, here's uh we're on vacation. This is kind of stuff. I, I mean, I don't know. You look back at it, you're like, geez, I can't believe they did that. But then you're like, uh, it kind of can. If I was like, but so yeah, they they say, okay, she's she's already at the big farm. There's nothing more we could do. And at this point, everything is pretty much. Uh, I guess I don't. I'm trying to think. Maybe this was the second thing that happened, but maybe not. Uh, but then so. The other scene that happens out there is out in the desert. They're driving. I guess this one it was like was before the scene, but these are like uh, uh, Clark's on his way down, you know. So, yeah, I think this was the lowest point in the movie. So that's probably so. This probably scene preceded it. So, Clark's driving. I guess he wasn't paying attention. He doesn't know where he's going. He says he doesn't know where he's going. Or he's not looking, or maybe he was looking at Christy Brinkley, who was drove by again. I can't remember. But he ends up driving off the road into the desert, gets to four flat tires, and they're at a closed road, and he go, he has to go, get, like they're in the middle of the desert. Uh, and so he drinks a beer with Rusty, 
And he, he has this moment, which was kind of a good moment. He said, Jesus isn't going well. And Rusty says, no, it's not going well, Dad. You're really, you're really, uh, this vacation stinks. And uh, he goes, now you're stuck here. And he goes, you got to be in charge of your mother and your sister and Aunt Edna. Yeah, because they make, they crack some jokes about how Aunt Edna smells like mothballs or whatever. And he goes, I'm going to go look for, get, you know, somebody come tow the car. And then he goes out wandering in the desert and it's kind of like, uh, I guess it's like just a scene where he's like, uh, loses it. He's like, uh, it's, I guess it's like for him to vamp a little bit Chevy Chase because he kind of sings and mumbles and wanders around. And then he finds his way or somebody helps him find a gas station where the car already is. And they overcharge him, of course, for like four ball tires and now he's out of money. I think he's like giving money to Ellen's sister and Uncle Eddie and uh, that much. And then, yeah, and then they go uh, with Aunt Edna. And actually they say, well, is there any money in Aunt Edna's purse? Because we have no money. So not only do they leave Aunt Edna at her son's house uh, after she's already departed the earth, uh, but they take her money because uh, they have no money left. And now this is it for Clark. Like, so, like, uh, everybody's, like, mad at Clark. They're like, we got to give up. He's like, we're not giving up. We're going to Wally World no matter what. Uh, and it, oh, during when Clark decided to loan Eddie the money or give it to him, Eddie gave, he said, Eddie, you have really nice shoes. Eddie had these, like, white leather, like, kind of dress shoes. I don't know. Like, you just, you'd see, like, someone wearing a leisure suit with or something. And, uh, like, uh, he, he, like, Eddie's like, here, Clark, I got you your own pair of my shoes. So at this point in the movie, like, everything's not going well. Everybody's at the low point or almost the low point, right? Uh, and, uh, they get to this hotel and they get two rooms and Ellen's like, you know what, Clark, uh, I loathe you. And, uh. The kids are like, Dad, we loathe you. So he's like, okay, fine, I'm going to go out and uh, have a drink at the hotel bar. And he puts on the shoes. He, he kind of like is like uh, oblivious, right? He's like, uh, okay, you know, my drug drug my family on this uh, trip, and I made, you know, made all these mistakes. Uh, and so he goes down to the bar for a drink, and who's there but Christy Brinkley? And, uh, again, this is a very like deceptive because she's immediately like, Hey, what's up? Uh, and he's like, Hey, and he could barely carry a conversation, which I said, man, he can barely carry a conversation. Like I can't barely carry a conversation, but, uh, it went really well for him. And she says like, yeah, let's go swimming. Like, uh, and, uh, you know, hold hands, like totally hold hands in the pool and other places. And he's like, Really? And I guess just because he was already, like, pushed over the edge, but he goes over, he has to go further, I guess. Uh, and so he uh, he says, okay, let's, uh, let's, I guess let's, uh, and she even says, are you going to go for it? Which kind of harkened back to the other one. And again, this was like, uh, it was, this was all PG, I believe. It was all, maybe this movie was R, but there was no, nothing to see. I, I, I can't remember, but they, she gets in the pool. And, uh, then Clark gets ready to get in the pool. I think he gets down, strips down to like his, uh, tidy whities And then he's like, like, I'll never forget. This is another scene. That I just really remember it comedically. She, he's like, uh, on the cusp of like saying, this is just a bad idea. Like, and he's saying, this is crazy. This is crazy. This is crazy. And then he goes to jump in the pool. And instead of saying like, instead of like anything, he just yells because the pool is so cold and he yells so loud uh, that his uh, wife and his kids come out. They like are in the rooms and they hear him yelling about how cold the pool is. Uh, and she's like, "What are you doing, dude?" And the kids are like, "What?" And he goes, "Oh, this is a swim-up waitress. She was taking our drinks." Uh, and she's like, "It's obvious that he was up to no good." And Ellen's like, I can't even believe this. This is, you got to be kidding me. And even Rusty and Audrey are like, man, dad, this is, uh, this is it. You ruined it all. 
And then what happens is, I guess Clark, like, uh, says goodbye to her, and she says, well, uh, sorry. And, uh, like, she, I mean, she's got to be like, you got to be kidding me, right, dude? Like, uh, and then he goes back to his family. He apologizes to Rusty, maybe to Audrey, but, uh, and they say, go, just go apologize to Mom. And I don't know, I mean, I can't imagine... His apology is, she, she's, of course, upset, uh, and I guess he gives some sort of somewhat genuine apology or whatever, but I, I can't believe that. But I'm just trying to think of how they move the story forward. So he must have given her enough of an apology that she was like, okay. Uh, but I, I guess I'm like, man, really? Uh, maybe, uh, oh, and they, I think they end up getting in the pool. Like, uh, yeah, that's what happens. Like, he gives her enough of an apology that she says, well, uh, if you want to get in the pool and hold hands with someone, why not me? And then he's in the pool. She jumps in and yells, that's cold. And then that kind of signals, yeah, that the story can move forward. And the kids are like, oh, okay. Uh, Some tension is relieved. Then I believe the next scene is them, like, going into California or whatever and approaching Wally World, and it's like morning, and there's a uh, music from Chariots of Fire is playing, and they're like the, the parking lot's empty. And Clark says, "I'm gonna park closest to exit." He's like, "Why am I doing that, Russ?" He goes, "Because we'll be the first people to leave when the traffic's bad at the end of the day." And then they run across the parking lot, and it's like this mute, you know, the families reach the mecca. And everyone's happy, and it's like so. And then they get to the thing, and there's like the sign with this automated moose, and it says, "Hey, the park's closed for refurbishment." And the, the clerk's like, "You got to be kidding me!" And they're like, "No!" Like the moose says, "Sorry, folks. Uh, you know, this is Marty Moose or whatever, Marty Moose." Uh, also, at different parts, they sing the Marty Moose fan song. But, uh, so they, they says, yeah, just sorry, park's closed for whatever, two or three more weeks, a whole summer for refurbishment. And, you know, anyone that's gone to a theme park and their favorite ride's closed, you kind of feel like that. But, uh, this time the whole park's closed and Clark's like, you know what? Like, I'll just go talk to somebody. There's no way we drove here. I'll explain it to someone and they'll let me in. And then we see John Candy is the one. Uh, who's a famous comedic actor uh, in the 80s and 90s. Uh, and he says kind of like, sorry, folks, there's a moose out front should explain to you, but the park's closed. And they're like, well, yeah, no, we got to get in. And then uh, he says, no, 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 the park's closed. We can't let you in. And it, it gets to the point where Clark says, no, no, we're coming into the park no matter what, and you're going to be our, you're going to take us on a tour of the park without a choice, even though you might get fired. And so then we see them, uh, like, uh, trying to pretend they're happy and riding all the rides. And they kind of do have some high points, uh, and they ride all the rides. Then, of course, the, uh, I guess they only had one person working that morning, but by the time the afternoon comes, they find out. Uh, which I guess this has become, I don't know if it happened in the second movie, but it happens in the third movie where all the authority figures come and they say, you can't come to this park and, you know, force us to open it. Uh, this one guy riding all the rides, like, you know, we like, uh, you know, it took cost electricity and stuff. And it just so happens that this character based on Walt Disney, like, uh, wa- like Walty Wally or something, uh, Roy E. Wally, I think, uh, he comes cause he's got to, got to see, I can't believe this family snuck, got into my park and rode the rides. Uh, like he's so outraged and then he says, what do, and then I think it's Ellen at first who says, can we explain to you what's happening with reasonable people? Uh, and like Clark kind of tells her, he's like, have you ever gone on a family? He goes, I can't believe the park was closed. And I guess, well, yeah, we could close it sometimes. Uh, and he goes, well, have you ever gone on a family vacation? And he goes, yeah, to Florida. And he goes, what if Florida was closed? They can't, and he goes, we can't close the whole state. Uh, they don't do that. And he goes, well, what if it happened? And he goes, well, it's a pretty miserable trip, so I can see what you're saying. And then all is well. Then they all ride the rides together. 
And I think that's just how the movie ends, like with Holiday Road, like them riding the rides, like R- Walty, Roy E. Wally, uh, John Candy. And then we kind of see this like postcards and uh, scenes from the whole movie with all the uh, performers uh, and everything from Holiday Road. So I guess that was the movie, yeah. And it was like just a movie I watched a lot as a kid. I really enjoyed it. Uh, and now I'll probably watch it soon and see if it stands up. But if you've seen it lately, let me know. Uh, but, yeah, it's definitely a movie, if you're younger, that you might want to check out uh, to see if you enjoy it. Uh, thanks so much for listening, and good night.